You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ben Nagy from Smart TD in Cleveland, and Michael Blaine from Smart Communications. As we have done for the past year, we are recording remotely due to the pandemic. Welcome to the 14th episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. Back in January, we met with Steve Dodd and Greg Hines to talk about the 2020 election and what to expect from the Biden-Harris administration. Since then, a lot has happened and a lot has changed, especially as the new administration began to take root and address the COVID-19 pandemic and its economic impact. We have brought them back to talk about the first 100 days of the administration and its impact specifically on SMART members. Brother Dodd is SMART's Director of Governmental Affairs. Steve began his sheet metal apprenticeship in 1984 at Sheet Metal Workers Local 137 in New York City. He became a journeyman in just three years, worked at the same shop for 13 years, and was shop steward for eight. For seven years, he was secretary treasurer of the Sheet Metal Metropolitan Association, which consists of leaders from building trades locals across the Northeastern United States. Steve talked with us about the many specific actions the Biden administration has already taken to support working families, including positive impacts of the passage of the American Rescue Plan on COBRA, unemployment benefits, multi-employer pensions, and funding for school HVAC retrofits. He also discussed the PRO Act and what it means for SMART members to have so many labor-friendly people now appointed to top positions in the Biden administration. Everything that he's done that had anything to do with labor, uh, he has looked to labor for their assistance, their help, their guidance to make sure that uh, they did not have a misstep on those appointments. We also spoke with Greg Hines, SMART TD's National Legislative Director, Brother Hines is a fifth-generation railroader born in Winslow, Arizona, and hiring out with the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway in Los Angeles, California in 1995. He transferred to Phoenix, Arizona in 1997. He was elected Arizona Assistant State Legislative Director in 2004, elevated to Arizona State Legislative Director in 2009, and was elected National Legislative Director at the second Smart TD convention in August of 2019. In 2014, he was appointed and served on the Federal Railroad Administration's Railroad Safety Advisory Committee, known as RSAC, which develops new railroad regulatory standards. He also has served as a representative of Smart TD on the Switching Operations Fatalities Analysis Working Group. Greg discussed how the Biden administration in contrast to the previous administration, now very much has an open door for labor and is actively seeking input from unions about issues of concern to working families. Greg also touched upon how the American Rescue Plan included funding to rehire furloughed Amtrak workers, the significance of new leadership at the Federal Rail Administration that is now reprioritizing rail safety over corporate profits, and what it really means when politicians or rail carriers say we need to just cut back on regulations. 
the regulations were written in blood in our industry. We have a thousand pages of railroad regulations and every one of those are from bad behavior by the railroads. So when somebody tells you they just want to get rid of all the regulations so business can make a lot more money, they're saying we want to take away safety to add to profit. And that's something that we can't do. In addition, listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to multiple questions that have come in from smart members asking what the Biden-Harris administration has done to address the multi-employer pension crisis. The multi-employer pension relief that's in the American Rescue Act is a perfect example of why elections have consequences. We now have an administration that supports workers, supports our retirees and their unions. Greg and Steve, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us back. Um, this is a, truly an honor for us to uh, be a part of your podcast. Thank you, brothers. First question we have is, how did the first 100 days of the Biden administration shape up for sheet metal transportation members across SMART? Uh, you know, Paul and uh, Mike and uh, everybody, I, I tell you, we all had an idea or we thought we had an idea of what the first 100 days was going to look like based on what the uh, president said when he was running for office. We never could have imagined that it would have been this uh, high end of union involvement from the beginning as it has turned out to be. If you want to talk about Marty Walsh, you want to talk about Ju Julie Sue, all of the different administration picks that he did, you know, M Miguel uh, Cardona, Secretary of Education, who was a teacher, Everything that he's done that had anything to do with labor, uh, he has looked to labor for their assistance, their help, their guidance to make sure that uh, they did not have a misstep on those appointments to those particular cabinet spots. So when it comes to besides the appointments to some of the legislation that has gotten passed, there's been a lot of significant legislation, especially revolving around the American Rescue Plan. How significant do you think that is? I'll tell you what, you can do the fact check on this. I don't know that there's ever been a president in the history of this country that came out in support of people that were trying to organize like he did for the Amazon folks. Although it was unsuccessful, no president ever recorded a message leading up to a vote. So if you want to take a measure of who somebody is, there you go. That to me was incredible. Beside the fact that the, uh, the help for the pension fund that it was going to be a devastation to community after community if that was not done to the tune of $86 billion over 30 years. And then you talk about 100% subsidies in the COBRA, that if you were unemployed, you couldn't afford the copay on this COBRA to begin with. So there are so many things that have happened in this administration. We would need a three-hour podcast uh, to go through it. And we never thought that we would have that much, like I said, depth in uh, accomplishments that we've seen so far. Relating to the rescue plan though, the effect that it had on transportation membership, number one, it brought back all the furloughed employees at Amtrak, restored all of the long distance routes and gave them additional funding so that they could keep their operation going for everything they've had to go through with the pandemic. $30 billion for, for transit, 
we've been consulted every way along uh, along the way and uh, we were consulted on the language for the bill we were you know we worked with the committees and uh, it's just been night and day where we actually have friends in high places now whereas we haven't the last four years going back to the appointments for just a sec what does it mean to have somebody like Marty Walsh now heading the Department of Labor as opposed to his predecessor, Eugene Scalia? What do these labor-friendly appointments mean on the ground? How does that affect workers and members? Well, when it, when it comes to a guy like Marty Walsh, who had been with the laborers organization, had been a state rep, uh, had been the mayor of a, of a large, large city of Boston, uh, they know all too well what it means to have labor at the table, what it means to have labor be involved in the process. And what that also means is that when everybody is gonna do any business in that city as a mayor, they know they're not doing it if they don't have labor at the table. As now the secretary of labor, anybody that comes to the secretary of labor with a issue, they know that there's gonna be a sympathetic ear for the side of labor because that's where he comes from. So you cannot measure that stuff in my book uh, as far as how important that is. Yeah, think about that. How, how crazy is that? A secretary of labor who actually comes from labor. Wow. Uh, it's been a long time since that happened. Heck, I'm 45 years old and it's been at least that long since a union member has been the secretary of labor. So it's kind of a, a breath of fresh air there. Absolutely. And, you know, I can't, I have to mention that one of our members was Secretary of Labor back in the, uh, uh, was appointed by Hoover. And he was the Secretary of Labor. He was a general chairman out of Virginia. And he was actually championed uh, Davis Bacon when Davis Bacon came about. So, you know, back in those days, it was normal before we had such partisan politics, it was normal to have somebody from labor as Secretary of Labor. And then as time went on, we got away from that. And especially in the last several decades, you know, labor hasn't been at the table at the Department of Labor. So now we are, and that's the way it should be. And I expect really good things to happen. I'm, I'm excited. So one of the um, big issues that members were mobilizing around two, three years ago was the issue of IRAPs. And we had about 24,000, 25,000 members who submitted comments to the Department of Labor about IRAPs being introduced into the construction industry. Now, that was the previous administration that was doing that. How has this administration responded to that? It's eliminated. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the ironic thing is, it, like you said, Paul, we had 25,000. There was 325,000 letters that were submitted on behalf of the men and women that work in the apprenticeship world that finally put the brakes on that thing. But now registered apprenticeship programs, that's the only way that anything happens. It's cut off all the funding to, to IRAP, so it'll, it's non-existent. And that's what a friendly administration, a uh, administration that gets it, uh, an administration that comes from labor and knows all about labor, that's what you get when you have that. For those who might not be totally familiar with the term, the industry recognized apprenticeship programs or IRAPs, what was the big threat from those to union apprenticeship programs? Well, that, that could, what would have happened there potentially is you could have had what we call two men in a truck. Uh, anybody with a garage uh, or, or an address, they could be in a registered apprenticeship program. So what that would mean is just like for me, example, I was a welder on the job. Uh, when I went on that job site, I walked in that job site with the clear understanding that I had no worries about the electrician that was working near me the crane operator that was working above me, 
uh, all of those things because I knew that they went through the similar types of apprenticeship training programs that I went through. So this would have essentially taken that comfort zone or that comfort level away from everybody that we represent when they walk on a job site because they don't know who's standing next to them, what training they did or didn't have. So that was exactly why this thing had to be eliminated. Uh, if you think about you know, what we've done as uh, unions over the course of uh, our existence, is we always said, you know, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to make sure that we give our men and women that we represent the necessary tools and training that we can give them so that they can have a career. And when I like to say the phrase cradle to grave, well, that's what we did. We made sure we created these programs that are going to give them a career, not, not a job for two weeks, but a career going forward. When it's time to put down your tools, take off your hard hat, and tear into some gas station delicacies, join Smart Local 110 Sheet Metal Workers on The Break Time Breakdown, where we'll cover everything from what it's like to work during a pandemic to why we should all be like ducks. Head over to www.smart110.org or search for us wherever you get your podcasts. We started a thing. You should check it out. So, uh... Going beyond IRAPS and uh, you know the Department of Labor, uh, with the changes in the cabinet uh, from uh, the predecessor to now Biden, uh, we mentioned earlier that there are a few uh, doors that appear to be uh, a little bit opened wider uh, than they were. Uh, so Greg, uh, can you tell me from the uh, DOT and uh, the FRA side of things, uh, how have things changed as far as our receptiveness and uh, you know the ability to actually communicate with the folks out in uh, DC on Capitol Hill. The contrast could not be more intense. I mean, we have regular meetings with the administrator uh, it, almost every week. I have a, some type of meeting with the, with the FRA, but we have a scheduled meeting every two weeks with the administrator. The previous administration, uh, FRA administrator, Ron Batori, we had meetings with him as well, but they were completely different. It was basically go in, have a meeting with him and just listen to him filibuster and just talk and talk and talk with no listening and telling us everything they were going to do, but not working with us on any of it. It's the complete opposite now. We have regular meetings where they, they, we talk about the problems that we've had to deal with over the last four years, trying to undo all of these waivers and the things that the railroads have, have uh, thrown at us by having a railroad CEO running FRA. And we're working together on finding solutions to all these problems. We're in several lawsuits with FRA and we're working on resolving those without using the courts. It's really a partnership. And, you know, Amit Bose, he'll call me up. He'll call Jared up. He'll call Jeremy up. He'll call TTD up. He's, you know, he's trying to understand everything about it. And the guy wants to do what's right. So we now have an FRA who is providing rail uh, safety oversight where we haven't had that for four years. As a matter of fact, we've had the opposite. They've been trying to undo all of rail safety and oversight. And, you know, you heard in the last administration how it was so much talk about regulations bad. We got to get rid of all this regulations. We have to unleash businesses so they can make money again. It's all bull. The regulations were written in blood in our industry. We have a thousand pages of railroad regulations and every one of those are from bad behavior by the railroads. So 
those were written in blood. So when somebody tells you they just want to get rid of all the regulations so businesses can make a lot more money, they're saying we want to take away safety to add to profit. And that's something that we can't do. Unions were formed for safety first before there was ever collective bargaining or anything like that. It was a benevolent organization to take care of people, people that got hurt and injured on the job. So having an FRA administration is actually wanting to provide rail safety oversight and do what's safe and, and make sure that the railroads are providing a safe workplace is the complete opposite of what we have had the last four years. Absolutely. I mean, Exhibit A, uh, and, and hopefully this ends up being uh, sort of revisited, but uh, you know, one of the things that the Trump administration did was it took all of the advice of the carriers and repealed that uh, electronically uh, controlled pneumatic brake rulemaking. So do you think that maybe things like those might be revisited by this new uh, FRA and the new DOT? Well, yeah, absolutely. All of DOT, FEMSA and, and all of that, it's a completely different store because the people who were in charge in the last administration were people that just wanted to get rid of everything. They wanted to blow it all up. We don't need any regulations. The railroads know what's best. Trust the railroads. And that's not reality. That's not the world that we live in. And things are continually getting better. I think Mayor Pete was a very bold choice for Department of Transportation. The guy is amazingly bright. Good for him as well, because if he's very successful with infrastructure at DOT, it positions him for later on in his life. And uh, I think that was a very smart move on Biden. I think uh, Mayor Pete's gonna do a great job there. We now have Polly Trottenberg as the, his assistant. Great uh, labor person, comes out of AFL-CIO. You know, everybody, Steve's got a great relationship. I've got a great relationship. I mean, we, the key players we now know. We couldn't even get a, a meeting with the last Secretary of Transportation. Couldn't even get a meeting. For four years, never got a meeting. And uh, this one, right out of the gate, he, he called up our president. I've talked to him. Steve's talked to him. He's talked to general president. These people we have access to now. So we have friends in high places, and it's a great place to be. Now, we've talked a lot about rail. We've talked a lot about construction issues here. Uh, Steve, I know um, there's also been the manufacturing area as well. And Made in America has been a big issue recently. What has the Biden administration done recently when it comes to that, making sure products are made here in the United States? Well, what, what they're going to do is uh, they're going to make sure that uh, we have a, a decent seat at the table there when it comes to the people that were represented in those manufacturing facilities. They want them to be American jobs. They want them to be good paying American jobs and union jobs. And they've said so in everything uh, that they put out. Uh, they've issued in statements that they've issued in all, all the press releases that they come out with. So I would expect that we're going to be very involved in that process. And the other big thing here is if you look at how much the administration has been instrumental in making sure that when they have these conversations to the American people, that they're talking about unions, that they're talking about those folks that are, that are local, that are in those towns, in those municipalities, in those communities that want to grow up and be able to sustain their way of life. I'm excited about what that means for us and uh, what we're going to do with um, things like, you know, not exporting all of the uh, components that go into these things, 
you know, how do we get to yes? How do we look at the supply chains that exist today? And how do we get the companies that manufacture things here to make sure that those supply chains they have are a higher percentage of the components, if not all, uh, going into the products they make? There's also been big changes atop the National Labor Relations Board, including the, the firing of the aggressively anti-union general counsel. Could you touch on that and what those changes mean for smart members? So what's happening now is we have somebody in there that actually uh, cares about the people that uh, you know have to work in this country and uh, either manufacture things or install things that they have a way of making sure that the Department of Labor is there, that the NLRB is there, that everything is fair and equitable, that they have a safe working environment, uh, that they are able to do the things that are supposed to be done in the first place. Instead of finding ways to hurt people, they're trying to find ways to help and make sure that they're getting treated the right way. Look for the spring 2021 issue of the Smart Members Journal, which will be arriving soon in your mailbox. In the Spring Journal, we feature news and information for members across the union, including articles on the reversal of a Trump-era rule restricting two-person crew requirements, updates on Smart Women in Construction Week, and a special focus featuring a detailed timeline of pro-worker actions by the Biden-Harris administration and their positive impacts on smart members and the industries we work in. And there's no need to wait for the mail. You can also sign up for future electronic issues of the journal by visiting www.smartaction.org and entering your email address. So compared to the past, I know both of you have been here for this administration, of course, the last administration, the previous administration, but how do you think this administration measures against past administrations? Well, let me, let me just say something that was very interesting. I had a call last week with uh, Chairwoman Rosa DeLauro, she's uh, on appropriations. And she said, and you know, we're talking about the infrastructure bill that they're working on right now. And she said that she had a meeting at the White House. It's the first time she's been to the White House in four years. And they were talking, you know, broadly about infrastructure. And Biden just stopped him right in the middle of it and says, you're in the House of Labor now. I want you to know this is the House of Labor referring to the White House as the House of Labor. And Rosa DeLauro has been around quite a while. And she was so taken by that, where she said, in her mind, there has never been, in her entire time in Congress, there's never been anyone this pro-labor in the Oval Office. We've got a president that talks about unions in his State of the Union last week. I mean, how many times did he mention it? He makes it very clear that unions are important to him and they're important to America. I mean, Eric Adil is, is the, the White House liaison for labor. They're gonna be hiring the same thing in the Department of Transportation. And these are all really, really great things. And like Steve said at the beginning, it's better than we could have even imagined. This is so much better than we could even have imagined. We've got a labor president. And you know, the way that I, would equate some of this stuff is this way. The Trump administration and the appointees that he put in his cabinet were what I call the friends and family plan, which is most of those people had no idea of subject matter or the ability to run the offices where they were put in. 
The Biden administration has done the exact opposite. He looked at the office and put the subject matter experts in those offices or the people that he knew would be taken on a responsibility and engage in the way that they should do that job. That's exactly why we're in the place that we're in now in this administration, because the people that are in those places knew when they signed up for it, this will be a union friendly, a worker friendly, a build back better administration from day one. And if we find out or think that you're not on board with that, you'll be taken out of that job and somebody else will be doing that job. Yeah, it's a big difference when it comes to competency and things like that, especially when it comes to COVID, how, how the president responded to COVID. Uh, we understand he didn't get, there was no national plan when Biden took over. And because of that, that hurt us economically, that hurt the nation, a lot of people are unemployed. So how do you think the way he addressed unemployment, right, through what he's done with COBRA and unemployment benefit extensions and things of that nature, versus the past president and his response to COVID and the effects of it? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. What the president did is he tried to find ways to make sure that the families and the communities were sustainable with everything that was going on. President Trump's administration was more about, you're on your own. You don't need the help. You're gonna get there. This will be okay. That's the difference. It's a big difference. Let me ask you this. Where do you think the administration is going now after the first hundred days where it's heading? Like what, what kind of new, um, new items are on their agenda? I would say that, and everybody's been talking about this for years and years and years, infrastructure. I think the House will pass the infrastructure bill in the next couple of months and it'll be headed over to the Senate. Yeah, that, that's going to take some time. Um, you know, that, that's going to be something that I think will be successful. But there's going to be a lot of moving parts uh, to get that across the finish line. So I, I, I think that is going to be a long, drawn-out process from every meeting that I've been having in regard to the conversation. Uh, just, just to give you an example, um, we have had several conversations and asks of members of the Republican Party to have meetings with us, including the general president, about what our priorities are in that infrastructure bill because they know that in some of these cases, in the midterms, that's gonna be very important for them to be on the right side of uh, voting for that. Infrastructure in and of itself, just by the word, does not necessarily mean sheet metal worker jobs. Uh, it does mean rail. Uh, it does mean some part of rail, and especially if you look at uh, something called the Gateway Project. But the good news about infrastructure is that it will get to us by way of what some of the things that would be put into that are. And that is whether you're talking about energy efficient retrofits into schools, hospitals and buildings, federal buildings and others, or you're talking about roads and bridges and then the things that come from those roads and bridges, the expansions and the, the hours and hours of work, which means it spills into other things that help us. But on the rail side, I mean, they have a tremendous amount. The upgrades that they need are incredible. Let's get back to, to that a little bit, uh, you know, proof positive of the difference in the response by the Biden administration uh, to COVID. 
was the American Rescue Plan. As uh, Steve mentioned earlier, we have the COBRA extension, we had the unemployment extension. Greg, let's talk about what it's done for Amtrak, the American Rescue Plan, got people back to work there. And then also it's done a lot for our bus and transit members. So can you go into a few more details about just how they're also being supported as essential workers during a pandemic by this administration? This administration actually cares. I mean, Steve and I have been having, uh, we had our first White House call on uh, the vaccinations uh, last week. We've got another one scheduled coming up. The administration is asking us, what can they do to help us get our members vaccinated? And they wanna be helpful. And on our side, uh, on the transportation side, particularly in the rail side, our trouble with getting vaccinations has been a great number of our members are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have no predictable work schedules whatsoever. So when they schedule a vaccination and they try to go take time off for it, the railroads won't let them take the time off to go get the vaccination because they have availability policies and you have to be available so many hours a month for the job. They can be disciplined if they take off to go get their vaccination. So the railroads have basically disincentivized getting vaccinations. So we started conversations with the White House last week and we've got another meeting scheduled with them and hopefully they can get involved and we can have these railroads not being punitive for people that just want to get a vaccination. As far as all the legislation, the positive things on the legislation, you know, as I mentioned before, bring back the long distance routes, bringing back furloughed employees on Amtrak, additional funding for transit, making sure that our school bus drivers are included in all that. I mean, we have an administration that actually cares about the workers when it appeared to me that the last administration only cared about the employers and didn't care about the workers. They wanted to make sure the employers made lots of money and didn't have to worry about these pesky workers getting in the way. And that's the difference that I see it. I think another thing to add to that, you know, is that one of the things that we tried to tell them when it came to the vaccination is we wanted to share with them the things that we've done that were positive as far as lending out our union halls, uh, trying to help with make the, these vaccination sites available for them and uh, then we could partner with them on that because they're unfortunately, uh, I think they're getting to the point where the administration feels like there are a lot of people that are refusing to get it because they're worried about it. Well, the fear is that some are saying there could be a mandate that you cannot go back to work physically into a building unless you have the vaccination. That could be something that comes uh, you know, to a job site, to a workplace near you. So I think they're trying to get ready for something like that to be a potential, I'm gonna say problem. Speaking of going back to work and going back to schools, Steve, you touched on ventilation upgrades and retrofitting under the American Rescue Plan and as part of infrastructure. Could you just say a little bit more about that? What does that funding mean for smart members and for jobs looking out the next year or two as we really defeat this pandemic finally? Uh, thanks for the question. I got to tell you some $130 billion into the schools uh, for them to you know, reopen schools is a big deal. What we're trying to do currently is uh, with the help of NEMI and NEMIC, uh, we've had several meetings with the administration, Gina McCarthy, Department of Interior, Department of Education, Department of Energy, uh, GSA is coming up. We're doing these things to try to uh, educate them 
and say to them of that $130 billion, what we'd like to see, if we could get it, is we'd like to see guidance uh, issued that would mean that a certain portion of that money would go directly for indoor air quality. Uh, and if we can't and are not successful in getting that as way in way of guidance, then what we would like to do is we'd like to do an amendment to like the um, Bobby Scott bill or a latest bill that was put out by Alma Adams that has to do with opening schools and opening buildings and the black uh, community uh, universities uh, is the Alma Adams bill. So those things are things that we're working on with members of Energy and Commerce, Ed and Labor, and uh, Ways and Means to try to get them to understand where we're coming from and uh, what we think could be helpful uh, in that process of getting these schools open safely. President Biden also came out strongly in support of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act and called on Congress to pass it. Can you speak to that a little bit about both what that legislation would do and what does it mean to have the president of the United States strongly supporting that? That's a big deal. I mean, uh, you know, to have the president of the United States weighing in on his support for that PRO Act and, you know, during his campaign is consistently voiced support for that uh, since he took office. In March, he encouraged the House to pass the PRO Act and the House swiftly did so. So this major law reform repeals the right to work and brushes aside many of the unfair advantage of anti-union employers fighting labor unions. You know, it, it would empower workers to exercise our freedom to organize and negotiate for better wages and working conditions. And it would supercharge all of Biden's changes in the labor board and uh, greatly strengthen unions. You know, the bill sits in the Senate where it has uh, 47 co-sponsors. Three Democratic senators have yet to co-sponsor the bill, including Warner, uh, Kelly, and Cinema in Arizona, and we're still working on them. And it would add some real teeth and penalties when employers violate federal labor law, right? I mean, the, the problem too often is that they can coerce, intimidate, lie to, discipline, fire workers who are exercising their legal right to organize and engage in collective action, and then you know, whatever sanction is a slap on the wrist if it ever happens at all. And if it does, it's usually years later. And, and that has a huge impact on organizing campaigns. So how might this legislation kind of level the playing field for workers? Well, if, if you just listen to what we said in the beginning of this podcast, I mean, when you have an administration that puts the cabinet together, uh, that says right from the start, right out of the gate, that uh, labor unions are going to be a voice that's going to be heard here, uh, that means to me that when something like this comes across, the administration won't tolerate it. When workers are treated unfairly, that won't be tolerated. When employers are trying to skew the outcome of an election, that won't be tolerated. So those are the type of things that before we could have guaranteed that was going to happen. Now we could all but certainly guarantee that it's not going to happen. That's the difference. But as, as you mentioned, there will be challenges in the Senate and some of them within our own party. But the, the good news is the PRO Act is a great piece of legislation. It was uh, started at the beginning of the Obama administration, and the Obama administration wasn't interested in pushing it like the Biden administration is. So, And the world's a different place now than it was when Obama was president. So keep an eye out.
speaking of keeping an eye out, uh, we had a pretty big court decision here in February where the, you know, the prior administration's FRA uh, tried to overstep its bounds. Can you speak a little bit about how that went about and how the two-person crew uh, legislation uh, was sort of reinstated in, what was it, nine states, I believe? Yes, it was. So just a quick refresher. Uh, we had a, a rulemaking in FRA that was ready to come out at the end of 2016. Trump was elected and the FRA under Ron Vittori, railroad CEO, decided that we no longer needed a crew staffing rule and took it and threw it in the trash. And then not only did he take it and throw the rule away, but he said by FRA not making a rule that that would negatively preempt all states who had passed laws to have two-person crew. So that means all the states in the country that had passed two-person crew, FRA is saying, nope, doesn't count. You can't have it. And so we sued them and we won that case. And so now all of those states that passed two-person crew laws, those laws are in effect. And we're continuing to push two-person crew on the state level around the country. And we're talking to the FRA about reissuing the crew staffing rule. All good things. There's a lot of good things happening, but we've got a lot of work to do. And it's going to be a busy, busy, busy time the next several years. So from two-person crew changes that you just mentioned to the assistance for multi-employer pensions, it looks like there's been a lot that's been done for smart members, for working people across this country. It looks like this administration has a laser-like focus so far on working family issues. The last hundred days have been pretty aggressive. I think a lot of people have been surprised by how fast this administration has worked on working issues, issues that affect workers. Uh, just for those of you listening, our, our previous episode with Stephen Gregg was the uh, most listened to episode that we've had per capita, I guess you could say. So there was a lot of interest in this topic, and there was a lot of interest in listening uh, to these two gentlemen and to what they had to say. And there's going to be a lot of interest into what you, both of you just discussed today. Uh, we really thank you both for being on this episode. If there's anything that either one of you want to add before we close out, always happy to be on here. It's it's great to talk to you and and to get the message out to our members because they don't always know everything that's being done on their behalf. And with this administration, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the stuff that's being done on their behalf. And we've got to do our best to let our membership know what is taking place on their behalf in this administration. And it's all good news. And so I'm happy to, to come on anytime you want. And, you know, for, for me, uh, I got to tell you, you know, Greg and I do a lot of stuff together with the help of Jared and, and Jenny and Tiffany. And, you know, the big thing here is that he just said it. We have to disseminate the information to the membership that we represent any way we can. We do a lot uh, at this level to try to be engaged with the administration and help them help us so that we can help the membership we represent. We have to continuously make sure that everybody is on point there with that and know what's going on. To help a smart army does some of those things and um, just be engaged in your local union and uh, look for any information that they're putting out. It is valuable information. This is by far the most union-friendly administration we will see maybe in our lifetime. Uh, so please, 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 Help us take advantage of that uh, so that we can help ourselves. Thanks again for having us. Well, I thank both of you. It's always good to sit here and talk about the fruits of your effort and the fruits of the work that you've done. And looks like it's been bearing a lot of fruit. We look forward to having more discussions like this with you in the future. We really appreciate having both of you here. And we'll keep shaking those trees. Thanks, guys. Right. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. That's a wrap. 
You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. Welcome to the Open Mic segment, where Smart General President Sellers answers questions posed by listeners and smart members from across North America. General President Sellers, welcome back to the podcast. Yes, thank you, Paul, Michael, and Ben. I I appreciate the opportunity to join this open mic segment. Uh, There's been a lot going on. Uh, This administration and uh, and, and the policies that they've created has really helped working families. So uh, I, I greatly appreciate this opportunity. So for this segment of the podcast, a question has come in from multiple members from across the United States, especially those paying into our earning income from multi-employer pension plan. The question is, what has President Biden done to address the multi-employer pension crisis that we've been hearing about for the past several decades? Great, great question. The multi-employer pension relief that's in the American Rescue Act is a perfect example of why elections have consequences. We now have an administration that supports workers, supports our retirees and their unions. In the act, President Biden and our pro-worker allies in Congress delivered $86 billion in federal financial assistance to protect the retirement benefits of workers and retirees in financially troubled multi-employer pension funds. This has been a looming problem for decades. The insolvency of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp has been known for well over a decade. The PPGC is a backstop for pension plans similar to what the FDIC is to our banks and our banks account. Approximately 15% of all pension plans are critical and declining and may qualify for this pension relief. The Smart National Pension Fund is not critical and declining and does not qualify. President Biden's stance in the Rescue Act is a stark contrast to last year's majority GOP pension legislation that was put forward. The Republican Senate committee proposal would have raised our annual cost to the PBGC by 11 times. That's like raising our personal insurance premiums by 11 times one year to the next and continue to pay at that higher rate through no fault of our own. They also added new PBGC premiums for unions to pay new premiums for employers to pay, and taxed current and future retirees, therefore cutting benefits. Healthy plans were bearing the burden of this financial impact of payment to the PBGC. There are also pension plan requirements that would have put most funds back into the red zone. The Rescue Act, no union or employer fees, no retiree benefit cuts for those eligible in critical and declining plans. The 85% of healthy plans will not be charged with additional contributions and additional sacrifices by those members. The Smart National Pension Fund and so many other plans do not require this assistance because of the decades of planning. A nation of so many fellow brothers and sisters across the country had their retirement in jeopardy from bad policy decisions, from deregulation, from pension plan tax policy, and COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated the problem. Our negotiated multi-employer pension plans have set the standard for decades, providing retirement income and retirement security for millions of families. Thanks to the actions of the Biden-Harris administration and the hard work put in by members to ensure 
This issue got the proper attention. Over 1.3 million retirees and active workers now can have peace of mind in knowing that their hard-earned pension benefits are secure. Thank you to each and every one of you who contacted your elected officials and voted in last year's election to make this a reality. Thank you very much for the question, and please stay safe. General President Sellers, episodes like this are pretty enjoyable to record because finally, after a lot of years of being on the defensive, we're finally seeing the labor movement as a whole and the interests of working people being put on the table and being addressed, finally. And we're seeing a lot of progress. It's always good to be on the offensive rather than on the defensive. Really, thank you for being here on this episode of the podcast, and we look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you all very much. There's been a lot of work done in the multi-employer pension space. There's been work done over the last 10 to 20 years. But Biden-Harris, this administration, a supportive Congress has made this possible because you, our members, have made a difference, went out and made sure that elections do have consequences, made sure that workers are back on the agenda, retirees are back on the agenda, and good union middle-class jobs are back on the agenda. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you all. Thank you.